0: You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shattern State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. So getting into today's service, um, this is a very passionate uh, topic to me. I, I feel like it's a very important topic. And I have been visiting about this topic pretty much exclusively for the last four or five days. Um it, it is such a powerful and stark reminder to me as as a person, as a Christian, as a human being, uh as to what our call really is in this life and what it's like when we get too attached to worldly things. What that looks like to me what looks what that looks like to you what happens when we get too attached to this world and things of this world and so this sermon is i'm pretty much just going to be reading a couple stories so i apologize because it's going to be less um finesse and it's not going to be quite as uh memorized or anything like that i'm basically reading what i have written however um it is extremely powerful, and so I encourage you pay as much attention as you possibly can. And I will try to make sure that my voice isn't monotone and put you guys to sleep. So it starts off with, "He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose." These were the f- words penned in missionary Jim Elliot's final journey before he and his four companions gave their lives in an effort to reach the Honori tribe of Ecuador with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. On February 2nd, 1952, Jim Elliott waved goodbye to his parents and boarded a ship for the 18-day trip from San Pedro, California, to Quito, Ecuador, South America. He and his missionary partner, Pete Fleming, first spent a year in Quito learning to speak Spanish. They then moved from Shandia, a small Kichwa Indian village, to take the place of the retiring missionary. Jim and Pete studied hard to learn the language and to fit in. Their hard work paid off, and in six months, both were speaking Spanish well enough to move to Shandia. When they arrived in Shandia, they also had to learn to sp- the speech of the Kich- Kichwa, planning to reach the Aucas. Three years later, many Kichwa had become faithful Christians. Jim now began to feel it was time to tell the Aukis about Jesus. The Aukis had killed many Kichwas. They had also killed several workers at an oil company drilling site near their territory. The oil company closed the site because everyone was afraid to work there. Jim knew the only way to stop the Aukis from killing was to tell them about Jesus. Jim and the four other Ecuador missionaries began to plan a way to show the AUKUS they were friendly. Nate Saint, a missionary supply pilot came up with a way to lower a bucket filled with supplies to people on the ground while flying above them. He thought this would be a perfect way to win the trust of the AUKUS without putting anyone in danger. They began dropping gifts to the AUKUS. They also used an amplifier to speak out friendly AUKUS phrases. After many months, the Akus even sent a gift back up the bucket to the plane. Jim and the other missionaries felt the time had come to meet the Akus face-to-face. One day while flying over the Akka territory, Nate Saint spotted a beach that looked long enough to land the plane on. He planned to land there and the men would build a tree, uh, tree house to stay safe in until friendly contact could be made. The missionaries were flown in one by one and dropped off on the Akka beach. Nate Saint then flew over the Aka village and called for the Aka's to come to the beach. After four days, an Aka man and two women appeared. It was not easy for them to understand each other since the missionaries only knew a few Akka phrases. They shared a meal with them, and Nate took the man up back up for a flight in the plane. The missionaries tried to show sincere friendship and asked them to bring others the next time. For the next two days, the missionaries waited for the Aka's to return. Finally, on day six, two Aqua women walked out of the jungle. Jim and Pete excitedly jumped in the river and waded over to them. As they got closer, the women did not appear friendly. Jim and Pete almost immediately heard a terrifying cry behind them, and as they turned, they saw a group of Aqua warriors with their spears raised, ready to throw. Jim Elliott reached for the gun in his pocket. He had decided instantly or he had decided instantly if he should use it, but he knew he couldn't. Each of the missionaries had promised they would not kill an Akka who did not know Jesus to save himself from being killed. Within seconds, the Aka warriors threw their spears, killing all of the missionaries, Ed McCauley, Roger Yadorian, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott. Late in the afternoon of Sunday, January 8th, Elizabeth Elliott, Jim's wife, waited by the two way radio to hear Nate Saint and his wife discuss how things had gone that day, but there was no call. As evening turned to night, the wives grew worried. They knew the news was not good. The next morning, another missionary pilot flew over the beach to look for the men, and he saw only the badly damaged plane on the beach. News quickly spread around the world about the five missing missionaries. A United States search team went to the beach, found the missionaries' bodies, and buried them. With headlines like, What a waste, being shared in the United States' before the play, before this rest of the story could even be played out. But don't think that Operation Acca ended there because it didn't. In less than two years, Elizabeth Elliott, her daughter Valerie, and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, were able to move to the Acca village. And many Akas became Christians. They're now a friendly type, tribe, and missionaries, including Nate Saint's son and his family, still live among the Akas today. Elizabeth Elliott even helped make a movie about Operation Aka called Through the Gates of Splendor. It showed real-life scenes of the five missionaries on the beach with the friendly Akkas. It also included footage of the two years she and her daughter spent living in the Aka village. During his life, Jim Elliot longed for more people to become missionaries. In his death, however, he probably inspired more people to go to other countries to share the love of Jesus than he ever could in his entire life. So fast forward to November 2018. John Allen Chow of Vancouver, Washington, willingly surrendered his life in an attempt and an effort to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people of the Indian Sentinel Islands. The Sentinel Islands are home to the Sentinelese people who have remained untainted by outside contact for millennia. They have killed all who have endeavored to communicate with them, and the Indian government has mandated that they are to be left alone under penalty of law. The Indian Navy now patrols the island to ensure no one attempts to contact the Sentinelese in any way, and it is even forbidden for the Indian Navy Navy to uh, go to the island. Chow knew the risks involved with attempting to reach this people group with the gospel. He knew he would probably die in his mission. He wrote in his final journal entry before going to the island one last time, whether I return or not, let it be for the glory of God. You guys might think that I'm crazy in all of this, but I think it is worth it to share Jesus to these people. Be not, do, do, please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to. And I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of the tribe is at hand. And I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9 through 10 states. Many of you guys have probably seen this story uh, about John circulating the internet, along with all of the the promotion and the criticism that has been coming alongside it. If you haven't, then I will share with you some of the criticisms that I have seen from Christians. The response to Chow's martyrdom has been mixed. I've seen everything from cruel mockery to criticism to praise for his heroism. I don't expect the world to understand the sacrifice Chow made for his faith. To the world, the gospel is foolishness. If you don't believe me, see 1 Corinthians 1.18. What has disheartened me the most is the response I have personally seen from Christians to the sacrifice of this man. The criticism from Christians have been many. In fact, I've seen more criticism from Christians than I've seen praise from Christians. For some, what he did was wrong, or for some what he did wrong was fail to respect the wishes of the Sentinelese, and he should have just gone home when he wasn't accepted the first time. For others, Chow acted foolishly because he could have exposed them to microbes for which they had no immunity and killed them with disease. Others complained that he broke the law or would have spoiled their primitive way of life, or that he was an American imperialist or akin to a home invader. Yes, these are real objections that I have actually read from People I know personally that are Christians, even some of them pastors. While some of these objections have more merit than others, I have yet to hear someone propose a valid alternative. If the Sentinelese are to be reached, there is no way that does not involve outside contact, illegal activity, and almost certain death. No matter what tactic John would have taken, the result would have been the same. And I believe, as did John, that if Jesus was willing to shed his blood for the souls of those precious people, we ought to be willing to risk the shedding of our own blood as well. How do you reach a people group that it is illegal to travel to their island and it is illegal to make contact with them? It is even illegal to fly a drone over their island. You literally cannot make a connection with them. Their language is unknown and there is no way to make contact with them legally. So I have a mutual friend of John, John, the the missionary who passed away, who was a martyr um, to the Sentinelese. This man was uh, a best friend to John. In fact, John was just in his wedding uh, just a few months ago. And so I I visited with this guy. His name is Danny. And I asked Danny if he would share something with you guys um, specifically about this. And so I talked to Danny. Danny was one of, if not his best friend, um, John Chow's best friends. And so I asked him to write something up. I asked him to uh, have something that I could share with you guys, what he wanted to say, what Danny wanted to say, and what he felt like Chow would want to say, what John would want to say to you guys. And so this is, uh, basically, I'm just going to read the letter that Danny wrote to Shatteron State Chi Alpha. John was one of my best friends in college and was in my wedding party this past June when I got married. He had a calling to missions like no other. When he came out to my wedding a couple of months ago, we talked for hours about this people group and his love for him. He literally had felt the Lord call him to them. He had been researching and planning for years. John knew that what he was going to do, what he was most likely going to do, John knew that he was most likely going to die, but he thought it was worthwhile to at least let the tribe hear the name of Jesus at least one time before he died. John was the most genuine person I had ever met. He literally lived to serve others and loved missions. It was his heartbeat. He was an incredible friend to me. When we would talk, his heart was to try to love these people, to befriend them and to build a relationship so that one day potentially the gospel could be shared. He was committed to the long haul, however many years it would take to reach this people group. When he was in my wedding, he told me that he was excited to go and he sold everything that he had. And he finally had raised enough money to buy a kayak so that he could get to these people and hopefully just love them. This guy was the real deal. He spent years going on short-term trips to the surrounding and outlying islands of this country to find out as much as he could about the people group many times he went over he prayed for them daily he read up as much as he possibly could about them and researched them extensively he truly had a heart to identify with this culture and people and not extraction or and not extracting them from their culture i'm going to read that again he truly had a heart to identify with this culture and people and not extract them from their culture i hope you'd be as willing to see the courage He had to lay down his life and to go to a group that never heard the gospel. Many places in scripture talk about the foolishness of following Christ to those who are not followers. If your metric for this, or excuse me, if your metric for if this was a success or not is the same view of what the world would think, then of course this is a failure. But our metric isn't what the world thinks. It's what God's word says and what he's called us to. Many news stations, reporters, and family members who are not Christians have read out to me to share how inspiring John's life was and how it has made them question their faith. I'm going to bring Princess up to date. So basically I'm reading a letter. No, know, you're good. Just so you can kind of understand. Um, have you seen anything about John, the guy that um, was killed on the Sentinelese Island, the martyr? So there was a guy named John who went to the Sentinelese Islands um, in between India and somewhere. And uh, um, he was killed instantly. Uh, it's an island of people that it's illegal to travel to them because they're, they've are they remained untouched basically for thousands of years. Um, and I have a mutual friend with John. And this is the letter that the mutual friend wrote to Kai Alpha. So I'm going to read the last few sentences again. But our metric isn't what the world thinks. It's what God's word says and what he's called us to. Many news stations, reporters, and family members who are not Christians have reached out to me to share how inspiring John's life was and how it has made them question their own faith. Once again, though, that's not what this was all about. This was about a guy who was being obedient to the calling that he had. And we have to pray and believe that one day, somehow, The gospel will spread to these people because of a seed that was planted. I would hope that you would be praying for John, his family, and the salvation of this people group and the spreading of the gospel to them. I think many of us as pastors and missionaries preach oftentimes a far bigger faith than we are sometimes able to truly live out. This man, John's life, was lived out in a complete surrender to the call of Christ. End letter. What is particularly shocking to me has been the response of lukewarm Christians. The same Christians who haven't even shared the gospel with their next door neighbor are saying that what John did was a waste. How do we have so much advice for a dead missionary who gave up everything to share the gospel with people whom he had nothing in common? I've seen and I'm reading and I'm quoting actual posts from Christians who've shared this article that said this, he shouldn't have broke the law. Another post said, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Another post said, what is it about Americans that think that they need to fix everything? These are actual quotes I have read from actual Christians whom I personally know. Some of them even pastors. Pastors. These quotes are from people, from Christians, who likely, as they posted it, were sitting on their couch binge-watching Netflix and are criticizing a man who was willing to give up his life to reach a people group. And so if any of you have criticism for Mr. Chow, I ask that if you would show me, I ask that you would show me how he should have done things the right way. Not tell me, show me. Because the church is founded on the blood of the Lord Jesus, The foundations of the church are wetted with the blood of martyrs. And so I have to ask myself, how have we gotten so far away from the heart of the gospel that the modern church has forgotten what it is like to bleed for the name of Jesus Christ? In Acts, we read about the very first martyr, Stephen. After a forceful declaration of the gospel and a resounding condemnation of the Jewish religious leaders, Stephen was stoned to death as recorded in Acts 7, in which I'm going to read. Acts 7, starting in verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth to him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen is the first in a long tradition of martyrs for the church. Church history tells us that every one of the apostles except for John went to gruesome deaths for the sake of Jesus James was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. thomas was found uh, found death at the end of a spear. Matthias was burned to death and James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned and then clubbed to death. This says nothing of the modern church and the modern Christians and missionaries who have faced persecution and martyrdom for the sake of the gospel, according to open doors u s a open doors u s a every single solitary month every month <clears throat> 255, people, or 255 Christians are killed for their faith. That's eight people per day, 3,000 per year Christians are killed for their faith. 66 per month churches are attacked. That's two per day or 800 per year. 160 per month are Christians who are detained without trial and imprisoned. That's five per day, 1,900 per year. So what is our response as Christians? If we were to rise to our calling as the church, I have a few suggestions of what we can do. Step one, support a missionary. Find a missionary who has made the Great Commission their call and has gone to an, a, another nation who has gone out on the missions field. No one is exempt. Some are called to go, some are called to send. If you aren't called to go, then send money to those who are. Find someone, support them. Step two, share the gospel. Refuse to be lulled into a complacent sleep by the comforts of our self-centered nature. It is time that we embrace the stigma stigma of being Christians and it is time that we share the gospel even if it means social disgrace. See Hebrews 13.13 13, if you don't believe me. I have personally been mocked, ridiculed, and threatened with physical physical harm for the sake of the gospel. This is the norm for the early church and is currently the norm for Christians all over the world. Do not bow to a spirit of intimidation, but preach the gospel in boldness of the Holy Spirit and do not allow fear to silence you. Another thing you can do, become a missionary. Recognize your call to missions. To Jesus, there was no such thing as foreign or local missions. There was just the mission. Beyond whether or not you feel called to overseas missions, of which there are, I truly do believe there are a few of you who are called to overseas missions in here. Recognize that right now you are a missionary to this campus and your fellow classmates. And then as an extension of that, consider giving a year into missions and pray about a lifetime into missions, whether you're called or not. And so to close tonight, I'm going to read some of the last words that John Chow wrote before he died. These were the last things that he penned before he went up and was speared to death by the Sentinelese. Please live your lives in obedience to whatever God has called you to, and I will see you again when you pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand. And I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9 through 12 cites. I love you all, and I pray none of you love anything in this world more than you love Jesus Christ. Sole Deo Gloria, which is Latin for to God alone. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. even though sometimes we don't understand. And though it can be hard to understand why John was martyred, why this man who had such passion, why his call was cut short. But God, we pray for his family. We pray for those close to him. We pray for um, his best friends who knew him so well. We pray that they could be at peace and that they could come to know you through this. And God, we pray for the Sentinelese. We pray that the same thing that happened when Jim Elliott was martyred would happen to the Sentinelese. That this would cause an outcry for missionaries and for prayer to go forward for the Sentinelese. And God, we stand now praying that you've forgiven them and that you have a plan in place to reach these people for you. That they could be a tribe of peace. Now, Lord, when it's, when your humanity is so far gone that murdering someone is easy and is sport, the way that it is to the Sentinelese, the way that they killed John. God, these are a people group that are at conflict or at war within themselves. And so, God, we pray that you would give them peace and that you would convict them um, for what they have done so that they might seek out your name. And that you would have lined people up who are ready to go, who are ready to serve, and who are called to the sentinelies that John's death would not be in vain. God, I pray for us as, that these stories could inspire us. We would no longer be content just being Christian. Lord, we could be inspired to do more. Inspired to get closer to you. Inspired to have the kind of relationship that John had with you. And Inspired to not live in fear. Whether it's death or persecution or just awkward conversations. Lord, we so often live in fear. So, God, I pray that you could help us to no longer live in fear. And that, Lord, you would light a fire in us and in our hearts to go after you, to share the gospel like the world was ending tomorrow. I pray that this wouldn't just be a story that we hear, Lord. That it would change us. It's in your name.